Fantastic. Here we go. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life. All I am, I surrender. Give me faith to trust what you So we need to run that again. Does that make sense? We start at verse two on this one. We're we're doing a closing arrangement on it, so we've taken all the bridges out. So yeah, so okay, we're bridgeless. Bridge over troubled water. I'll be your bridge of troubled water. No, okay, wrong song. I need you. Soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to pierce through the dark and cleanse every part of me.
to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life yes yeah 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 so I'm gonna talk before rec before simplicity about everything thing uh, same news. Some of you probably already know, uh, but here in just a couple of weeks, uh, Brian and Jessica Dom are moving. They're moving to Tennessee. Uh, they had an opportunity, job opportunity down there, which was very good, and I'm excited for them. Um, and they've been a part of our body and a loved part of our body for a long time. And uh, they're going to leave, I believe, August 15th is the day. Um, so if you get a chance to talk to them between now and then, uh, please do. And this, is, this has been thought about for a long time, um, uh, but it's a good opportunity for, for that family, so keep that in mind. Um, also, the, uh, I don't know, we just had communion, and that's... I, Anybody have any sticky fingers? Um, I spilled everything this morning. I just want to let you know. And so if that immediately, Ashley said something. She's like, what's all over my fingers? And I said, well, me, really? I mean, that's what it is. And I was having a whole time. It was, anyway, that was me. That was me. I, I tried to get it cleaned up as best I could. Also, uh, I mentioned that our picnic is coming up on the 27th, I think it's the 27th, last Sunday in August, um, and uh, the Saturday before that, the day before that, we set up tents and everything out here. Um, with any luck, I will be here this year, like, just like every other year, but that's going to be... Um, uh, at the end of our trip out west, and you know how it goes. Things can happen. Um, and so I want you to be please considering between now and then a uh, chance to help set stuff up the Saturday before our picnic. You show up at 9, you're done by noon. It's a simple thing. It's an easy thing. Uh, and I'll be talking to Russ about this as well, but please be thinking about that uh, if you can do this. Well, nine years ago, something very special happened to me and Ashley. Uh, our lives were changed forever for the good, and uh, Sam was born. Sam was born nine years ago today. Um, it was a, what's that? Happy birthday. Yep, yep. It was uh, wonderful and continues to be wonderful, and uh, oh, just, it, it's neat watches, watching the changes that happen in your kids. You know how it goes. They change, and they grow, and they learn, and they, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Some days are good, some days are bad, uh, but it's, it's an adventure. And I think every, every age he gets to, just me anyway, every age he gets to is my, my new favorite age. Uh, I like the different things that it brings with it. And, uh, well, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's not always fun, right? Uh, sometimes it's the opposite of fun. But uh, usually there's more good days than bad days. And so that was, uh, that was nine years ago today. 
Um, there are things happening uh, throughout the summer, particularly when you're nine years old, and there's things you, you get a chance to do and things you want to do and fun things. And, and uh, Sam likes doing that stuff, you know, whether it's going to camp or playing baseball or whatever it is. And uh, he had the opportunity to do a few things uh, this month. Uh, in August and September, we we're going on vacation, of course, and uh, oh, he also wanted to have a birthday party, and he, you know, and all this stuff, and he wanted to play football, and, and just all kinds of things, you know. Well, the problem is, you can't do it all. You can't, either you're not going to do it all, you don't have time to do it all, or mom and dad says, you're not doing it all. All right, that's just the way it goes. I know, ruined your life, didn't I? You're not doing it all. And so we had a talk in the, uh, in the barn the other day, and he came to realize. He says, I, I can't do everything I want to do. Welcome to life, son. It's the way it goes. He says, well, what do I do? And I said, you got to choose. You got to choose. One way or the other. You can either do this or you can do that. You can't do both. But, but. This is your choice. You, you tell me what you want, and we're going to be able to make this happen. But there are conflicting things in your life. And so he got pretty, uh, pretty down about that, and he said, so, so I have to choose what I want to do. I said, no. I said, you're looking at this all wrong. So you don't have to choose. You get to choose. You get to choose what you want to do. This is an incredible gift you've been given. I can choose for you. That's, that's fine. Make life a lot easier. Now, you get to choose what you want to do. See, we have choices. We have choices all our life, even at a young age. And, and, and these are gifts that we've been given. I do have a small, well, Katrina and I are at odds on this. I told her the majority of people would know who the possum is. She said they probably wouldn't. Just show of hands. You know who the possum is? Who knows? Okay, few, few. Was she right? Who's the possum? George Jones. That's right. I've had choices since the day I was born. George Jones. I don't, I don't know I ever imagined preaching a message based upon anything George Jones said. Um, but, uh, but he's the possum. We have choices, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love you've given us, and we thank you for the opportunity you give us. We thank you, Father, for the, the chance uh, to make choices, good choices and bad choices. We thank you, Father, that we get to immerse ourselves into, into reality, into your word, into what you want for us. We thank you, Father, that we have the choice to either obey you or disobey you. And I, it's an incredible gift that you've granted to us, what we would call life because of those choices. So, Father, I ask that you help us be convicted today about the choices that we make to understand what you want for us in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and while you're doing that, this is probably a passage that you've heard before, and it's from Joshua chapter 24. He's addressing the Israelite nation after they've conquered uh, the promised land, 
This is sort of a farewell address. And he basically says this, look, folks, if it's evil, if you think it's evil, if you think it's bad, if you think it's something you don't want to do, if you think it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose. Choose today what you're going to do. Choose who you're going to serve. Whether you want to serve the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, or the God of yourself, for that matter, you choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord, the only God, the one God, the true God. The God that not only helps and provides and defends, but the God who holds us to a moral standard. That's the God we're going to serve. Joshua was an incredible leader, incredible leader of people, incredible military leader. I mean, all kinds of wonderful things. And finally, he says, you've got to make a choice one way or the other. And those who would choose against or choose not to follow God, he does the same thing that Jesus does later on. He doesn't chase them. He says, you want to go? Go. If you want to stay, you choose to serve God. We get to choose what we focus on in life, church. We get to choose how we spend our time. We get to choose where our direction and our purpose comes from. We, we don't always get to choose everything. I worked with a guy who used to say that all you have to do is live and die. Everything else is a choice. And I don't know if that's true about every specific uh, thing that we're faced with. But I do know that the majority of things that we do is our choice. You know, you've got to go to work, but even that's a choice, really. There are a few things we don't have a choice over. You've got to eat at some point. You've got to sleep at some point. You've got to tend to responsibilities of raising your family and so forth. And even some of those are a choice. But the definition of who you are, what you are, the definition of your priority, of, of, of how you're guided and what you submit to in life, that's your choice. That's your choice and anybody else's choice. It's your choice and your choice alone. Last week we spoke uh, on the study and application of Scripture, the Word of God. We talked about what it was meant to do for us, wonderful things, uh, so, you know, illuminating our mind helping us to see reality and then guiding us through that reality. And, and I'll grant you that it can be, when you come to the Word of God, it can be difficult at times in understanding when you are searching through the Word of God, but that's kind of the point. Jesus says that a little bit later on in His ministry. It can be difficult to understand. It can also be difficult to apply the Word of God. And most of the time, the reason it's difficult to apply the Word of God is because of our pride or our fear. There's a reason it's hard to love your, love your enemy, pray for your enemy. Well, he's my enemy, therefore I'm greater than he is. That's pride. Or fear, if I give over my life, if I give my life away, certainly to my enemy, then he's going to have more and I will have less. I will be without. Why is it hard to follow Scripture? Because our pride and our fear. But the search of the Word of God and the application of the Word of God is something that's open to every single person in this room. We either choose to do it or we choose not to. We either choose to do it or we choose not to. You know, we have a uh, Bible study every, every month with the, with the elders. And uh, Luke was, was talking about something last our, during our last prayer meeting, it was talking about the Nicolaitans. 
And there was something in the back of my mind, you know, that I remembered about the Nicolaitans, who they were, where they came from, uh, what they were, you know, kind of developed from that. But I didn't have a real good picture of it. It's just this vague kind of remembrance of who the Nicolaitans were. And it bothered me. It bothered me a lot. I'll tell you why it bothered me. There are things that happen. There's things that I read, things that are taught to me, and I struggle when I don't know them or when I don't remember them. I get upset with myself that I don't recall this to mind and have been so immersed in it that it should be at the, the front of my mind. Now, this has nothing to do with being a preacher at all. You can only take my word for it, but take my word for it. It's got nothing to do with being a preacher. What bothers me is the fact that I accepted Christ when I was eight years old, and now things are coming up that I still haven't wrapped my mind around. I don't like that. I don't like that. I take it more seriously now than I ever did. I'll grant you that. But I don't like the fact that I've walked with Christ for that long, and there's still things about His Word, which is not huge, that I don't remember or know or understand or haven't read or haven't studied. This is a problem in my heart and in my mind. It's lowering that standard and lowering that challenge. I don't like the fact that there's gaps, there's these holes in my understanding. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. I know you're in Luke. This will be on your screen. Hebrews chapter 5 says this. We have much to say about this. He's talking about how Jesus represents, or Jesus Jesus and this, this ancient king, Melchizedek, how they can kind of be compared to one another in their different roles and a number of things. He's writing this in Hebrews. He says, we have much more to say about this. He says, but it's hard. It's hard for us to make this clear to you because you're no longer trying to understand. To the Hebrews, he says, you're no longer trying to understand this history. You're no longer trying to understand this word of God. Now, depending on your translation, you may have, you are slow to learn. The author says, you are slow to learn. What he means is you have become slow to learn. Not you are slow to learn, but you have become slow to learn because you're not caring about and focusing on and studying on the Word of God. That's why this, you are no longer trying to understand is such a great way to say it. He says, in fact, listen to this now, though by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. Paul says something very, this is one of the reasons people think Paul wrote Hebrews because Paul says something very similar in one of his other letters. He says, you guys ought to be teaching by now. This wasn't after 20 years. This was after 18 months, 18 months of walking with Christ. He says, you guys ought to be teaching by now, but you're not studying. You're not learning and you're not applying with the Word of God written to you. You're not hearing it and making it a part of you, meditating on it. He says, in fact, by this way, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. That's not what they started. He says, you have become in the need of milk. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
There's a lot I want to say about the Word of God, and we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks. This wasn't the original plan. I was going to go into the prophets at this point in the year, but I really wanted to talk about it last week, and last week talking about it sort of got me thinking about a number of different things that we need to talk about. Next week, we'll talk about the inerrancy of Scripture. Week after that, we'll talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. But today, we talk about the choice that you and I have to be in the Word of God. This very same thing the Hebrew writer says, Jesus is going to say in a little bit here. None of this, though, nothing in here is meant to be hidden from anyone. Nothing is meant to be beyond someone's grasp. And it's not meant to be beyond our application. Luke chapter 8, this is where you are. Starting in verse 16, Jesus is saying this. He says, look, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Now, this is a reference to some of the parables and lessons that Jesus was teaching. He's actually talking here about God's Word. He is the lamp lighter. The lamp is God's Word. He says no one gives away the Word of God so that it can be hidden. They give away the Word of God so that it can bring the illumination that we talked about last week. That it can bring understanding, that it can bring guidance, that it can bring courage in our lives. The lamp is the teaching. The lamp is the gospel message meant to provide illumination and guidance. But we also have to note that it's never meant to be an enigma or that only the select will understand. The, The word was never meant for the elite disciples, you know, something like that. It was meant for every person. Look what God says about the Word, about His Word in the Old Testament. This is, this is fantastic. Moses is giving his sort of final address to the Israelite people. That's really what all of Deuteronomy is about, uh, or what Deuteronomy is. He's giving this final, summing up the Word of God to the people. And he says this in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. This will be on your screen. He says, now, after he's done, he says, now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us that we might obey it. No, he says, the word is very near to you. In fact, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart so that you can obey it. We even have this written down. It's not too far beyond you. It's a choice that you make. He says in verse 15, See, I have set before you today, he's reviewing Scripture, he says, I have set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. Life and prosperity or death and destruction. After a summary, after review of the Word of God. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in Him in obedience, walk in obedience to Him and to keep His commands, decrees, and His laws. Then you're going to live, and you'll increase, and the Lord will bless you in the land. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away, and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods, certainly the God of self, and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. And ultimately, many of them were. They were destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're going to possess. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose 
life. Choose life. What did he just get done to? He got done reviewing the Word of God. He's talking about the understanding of the Word of God and the application of the Word of God. He says to the entire nation, choose life. That's what the Word of God brings. That's what the study and the application of it brings. And this extends beyond even them. You know how this works. Choose life so that you and your kids, so that you and your kids understand it. So that it can be applied to your life and your home's life, your family's life, your kids' life, your grandkids' life. Choose knowledge and application of God's word, obedience to it that you may live. Verse 20, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to his fathers, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not a command or if this is not a command for faithful study, knowledge, and wisdom, and application of God's righteous decree, I don't know what is. And this is, this is the, the formation of everything that's going to happen afterwards. This command to follow God. Notice also that he says the same thing Jesus does. This is not beyond your reach. Jesus says you don't have the word of God so that you can hide it. So that only some people can read it and understand it and apply it. Moses says the same thing. This is not beyond your reach when we talk about the commands of God, the Word of God, the insight, the wisdom that the Word of God brings. It's not beyond your reach. It's a choice you make for you and your family, both the understanding and the application. Now, granted, we do have teachers of the Word, and that teaching is very important. I was taught by teachers. You've been taught by teachers. Some of you are teachers that teach others. I mean, this is, it's an important role. All of it is necessary. But eventually, you've heard this before. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence. What does he say? At this point, guys, continue to work out your salvation on your own with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is what Paul was doing. He was teaching. He was guiding. He was present. He was, uh, he was uh, providing insight. He was all this stuff. <clears throat> and then finally, Paul said, okay, at this point now, you do it. You do it. I, I can't come back here. Okay, I can't be in every individual's home, and I can't get into your heart and your mind and make you do it. He says, at this point, you have to work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And he gives a promise. He says, then you will shine. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies. You hold firmly to the word of life. Christians are supposed to be different. They're supposed to think differently. They're supposed to act differently. They're supposed to care about different things that the world cares about. The way you hear them speak, the way they, they, they have every moment of their life, every time, every chance that they get to present their life in prayer to God, this is supposed to be different and weird, if you will, to the rest of the world. It's meant to be. He says that's how you shine, by understanding and applying the commands of Jesus. You know, for lack of obedience, and I'm as guilty as this as others, for lack of obedience, we often say that we didn't know. 
We plead ignorance sometimes, don't we? But the truth is, it is often, we just didn't ask. We just, we just didn't ask. What does this mean? How do I do this? What does Jesus mean here? Truth is, we just don't ask enough. What does Jesus, again, say about wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Look at Matthew chapter 7. This will be on your screen. Ask, and it will be given to you. You see, we don't ask. We don't ask. We get to choose whether we ask or not. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So we may read through Scripture and say, it's difficult for me to understand right away during this cursory reading. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He says, you need to seek. I want you to ask. I want this to be a part of your life so that it becomes a part of your very makeup instead of just pouring it into your ears so that it falls out the other side. Part of that difficulty, or that difficulty is a part of the design of Scripture, but it's never meant to be hidden from you and me. The urgency of this is important. Going back to Luke, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, therefore consider carefully how you listen or how you read, how you study, how you apply. They didn't have what we have. They couldn't read this. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has <clears throat> will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, it'll be taken away from them. What's he talking about? He's talking about understanding and application of the Word of God. He says, those who have will be given more. That is, if you seek, if you begin to study and apply, even messing up in the practice, that's what practice is for, right? He says, but those who don't have even what little they have, if they don't pursue it, that's going to be taken away from them. This is what the Hebrew writer is talking to the Hebrews about you started out well, but now you have gotten to the point where you're not trying to understand anymore. You are becoming slow to learn. It, that's the same thing Jesus is saying here. It's at our fingertips. It's on our coffee tables. It's sitting right here. It's even electronic now. I mean, this is, it's, it's everywhere we turn. Jesus says, the more you do it, the more you're going to have, the more you're going to understand, the more you're going to grow, the more you're going to realize, the more you're going to see, the more you're going to apply these things to your life. The blessing of study and knowledge of application of God's Word and the danger of failing to do so. He says both of those things in that verse in Luke chapter 8. Those who have will have an abundance. It'll grow, it'll flourish, knowledge, wisdom, faith will grow. It'll begin to be a part of your very self. It will carry you. It will sustain you. You will be sanctified by it. You'll begin to hear. You'll begin to hear the wisdom, wisdom and word of God, the spirit of God speak to you. But those who do not have, in other words, those who do not care to seek, to learn, to practice, even though they have heard, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is a commentary. On the parable of the seed scattered, Luke chapter 8, 11 through 15, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. This is what he's been talking about, throughout the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and take away, takes away from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. 
They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. There's only one person you want to be in that parable, church. Only one. And we get to choose. This is a choice. It's a choice that we've been given. Why do we choose no too often? Why do we say it's not worth my time? Why do we say it's not important? It's the very definition of life. It's the very bread of life, says Jesus. The knowledge and application of the word. Every teacher, I think every teacher's dream, if you, if you really get at its core, is to look at a student or, or to hear a student say, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. I, I'm doing what you're doing. I, I know more than you know. I don't need you to pour this into me anymore. This is meant to be conviction for those who know Christ, and certainly those who have walked with Him for a while. This kind of, this kind of, of, of prompting, this kind of choice to be realized, it's meant to be direction for those who are coming to know Christ. It's not a particularly fun or funny message. But Jesus tells us to consider very carefully the Word of God. And if we don't, what understanding we have is going to be lost. It's going to be taken away from us. I want to be inundated with questions throughout the week. What does this mean? Help me to understand. This standard and this directive is given to you. It's given to me. It's given to people who, you know, who have this at their fingertips. Remember, this same thing was given to people of Jesus' day, this same command, and they didn't have what we have. They didn't have the Word and the access to it all the time, whenever they wanted it, to read it. Matter of fact, much of the, the reason that they committed these things to memory by the time they were 14 years old was because they simply didn't have them written down. And so the Old Testament, Paul's an example, had the entire Old Testament committed to memory. It was pretty fascinating because it wasn't given to him to take with him and to read and to understand in those ways. We have that. That's an incredible gift that we've been granted. We have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice to be in the Word or not in the Word. We have a choice to read. We have a choice to apply. We have a choice to understand or fail to understand. But church, if we don't desire understanding of the word, we have a promise from God that even what little bit we do know is going to be taken from us. We're going to go backwards. And we don't want to go backwards. Next week, we'll talk about the inerrancy of Scripture and what that actually means. I know, you guys know it means without error, but that's not as cut and dry sometimes as people think it is. And so we'll talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, and then I hope you're here because we'll talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, at the very end of, of uh, the Revelation, you know, I, don't, I, I think there's a reason it's put right there at the very end, 
Jesus says, don't add to this and don't take away from it. What you have is what you have, and this is what you need. So we'll have a chance to look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you that we can be challenged by this kind of a lesson and, um, and, and that we can be convicted. Uh, Father, we need your help. We need your help not only for understanding, but we need your help to make this choice, this choice that is good, this choice that is right to be in your word, uh, to follow after the, uh, the direction of your servant, Joshua, when we meditate on it day and night. Father, because we want to see, we want to be prepared, we want to be strengthened, we want to, we want to have this, this, this kind of security, this knowledge around our hearts that gives us a chance to go through this life in the way that you want us to do, in a way that's good for us but also glorifies you. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that we live in a time in history where we have the word everywhere we look, that we can pick it up, Father, that we can... We can begin to read it. We can begin to see it. We can begin to draw the marrow out of it into our own lives and watch the transformation in our hearts. I thank you, Father, for this, for this time to be alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. I need you to soften my heart. Break me apart, I need you to open my eyes, to see that you're shaping my life. All I am, I surrender, give me to trust what you sometimes it's not a real fun or funny message as I mentioned, but they are necessary reminders that you have a choice and you get to make that choice. 
It's a wonderful gift to be able to be a part of the Word of God, to be immersed in, in the Word of God and allow it to direct our life, define who and what you are. Um, I, I hope that from here on out, you make the choice to be in the Word if you're not. I also hope that you ask questions about it. Um, I'm going to level with you, okay? There's some things about being a preacher that you don't like to do that much, okay? But there's some things that you really like to do. And when people have a question about Scripture, I love doing that. I love that. I love that so much. I had a great conversation last week, impromptu, with somebody. And I was short on time, and I still I just wanted it to keep going. So if you have questions, you can, you can email me and you can call me. Next week, be, in, be here. We're going to talk about the inerrancy of Scripture. Your um, Bible may have Mark 16, 9 through 20. It might not. Uh, you read through Acts chapter 8, you're going to find a missing verse, perhaps, in the translation that you have. We're going to see what that means and how it's possible to have stuff like that and still trust in the inerrancy of Scripture. So I encourage you to be here next week for that. And then finally, we'll talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, and then we're out of here for two weeks. So it should be fun. It should be fun. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. The love you've given us, we thank you, Father, for the challenges that you give us, but also the knowledge that you offer to us with both hands, the wisdom you offer to us. Father, we ask that you'll help us to take you up on that, that choice that you've granted to us, to know the, uh, the wonderful things about your word, about this creation in which we live, but also about <clears throat> our eternal life, our nature, as well as yours. I thank you, Father, that you've granted us this incredible gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Nine years ago, uh, today, something happened very special for me and Ashley. Sam was born. Yep. Today's his birthday. And uh, that's always a fun thing. I always enjoy that. And his, uh, I, you know, the, whatever age he is, is my new favorite age. That's just the way that goes. Um, and I, I know how everything goes. Eventually, he changes, I change, Ashley changes, you know, and we'll start button heads before too long, and that's just part of, part of growing up and things, but, but it's always a lot of fun, and uh, there's, there's not always fun, I guess. I shouldn't say it's always fun. Uh, there's some, some parts that aren't fun, uh, some things you don't like, but, uh, uh, but it's a good time. We, we, he and Ashley are going to the the lake today, and they have some things planned, and it's, so it's 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 enjoyable. Um, but there's also a lot going on, a lot going on in his life and, and and our life and everything, and there's a lot going on in the church. And sometimes people say summer is a busy time, but you ever notice people get to the fall and they say, "Well, it's a busy time." You know, they get the winter, well, it's a busy time. It's always a busy time, you know. And it's a busy time if we let it be a busy time. That's pretty much the way that goes. Um, and, uh, there's, but there are some things he wants to do and things he likes to do and so forth, but he can't do everything at the same time. can't do it all, uh, and that's just the way it goes. Sometimes there are two fun things or events that conflict. Uh, sometimes, you know, mom and dad say, no, we're not doing that, you know, let's move on with something else in life. That's just the way life goes, um, and, uh, but... Sometimes there's just conflicting things. And we talked about this. He wants to do a couple of things. He, he wanted to 
have a birthday party and he wanted to, uh, he wants to play football and we're going on vacation and he wanted to, I don't know, a couple other things, go to a ball game with grandma and grandpa and, and all this stuff. And we got to talking about it in the barn uh, a little while back. He was helping me and I said, well, pal, here's the deal. I said, you got to choose. You got to choose. I mean, it's just life. You choose. One way or the other. And go with it. Well, how do I know what's the good choice, what's the bad choice? Sometimes you don't. Just choose and go with it. And so we're standing there, and he says, so, so you're telling me that I have to make the choice. And I said, no. No, you got this all wrong. I'm not telling you you have to make the choice. I'm telling you you get to make the choice. You get to choose. This is a wonderful gift that you've been given, you know, whether or not you want to do this or do that. I said, it's, it's a great chance to exercise that gift uh, to choose. Or you cannot choose, and I'll choose for you. You know, and that's just the way it goes. You either like it, you don't like it, but that's just the way it goes. You see, that's, we have that same thing in our life. We get to choose. We get to choose follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, but eventually it's going to be chosen for us, life or death, you see. And if we choose not to follow Jesus, we're not going to like that decision at the very end. We have an incredible gift of choosing, an incredible gift of, of choice, and we get to exercise that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gifts that you've given us. I thank you, Father, that you, uh, you allow us, as hard as it seems sometimes, to, to, to live, to be alive with choices that we get to make. It's just an amazing gift. Sometimes very, very hard. But it's a wonderful gift, Father. I thank you. I hope today, Father, I ask that we are convicted by what we learned today. Convicted about the study and application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I also have a little question going on with uh, Katrina. She says that not a lot of people are going to know who the possum is. I said a lot of people would know who the possum is. You don't have to say it, but just raise your hand. Do you know who the possum is? Who knows who the possum is? It's, Okay, we got two. All right, all right. Who's the possum? George Jones. That's right. That's right. So I lost to Katrina, okay, apparently. Uh, yeah, George Jones. I've had choices. since. I never thought that I would be teaching a lesson based upon anything George Jones said or sang or anything. Uh, but uh, we have choices. We have choices. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, and, and that's really the focus of today's message, but I'm going to be in a couple of different passages today. Uh, last week was not the original plan for that, that message, talking about the significance of studying Scripture and what it does for us, but once I, I went down that, uh, that direction... There were so many other things I wanted to talk about when it came to the study of Scripture. So next week, we're going to talk about the inerrancy of Scripture. And then the following week, we'll talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. Now today, we talk about the fact that we get a choice to study and apply the Word of God or not. And it's meant to be integrated into our lives. It's designed that way to be integrated into our lives. Uh, you're in Luke chapter 8. We'll get there in a minute. Joshua, you've probably heard this, chapter 24, verse 15. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, all false gods. You could throw in there the God of self if you wanted to, but you choose. You choose who you're going to serve, what you're going to serve. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the one God, the real God, the true God, the God of creation. Not only the God that loves and protects and provides, but also the God that challenges and has a moral standard for His creation. That's the God we're going to serve. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be boring. It's going to be reality. Reality is the God of creation, Yahweh, and that's the one we're going to serve. Church, we get to choose what we focus on. We get to choose how we spend our time. We get to choose our direction and our purpose. We get to choose where it comes from. We get to choose whether or not we obey Jesus or not. not all, we don't get to choose everything, right, in this life. Uh, I worked with a guy who used to say that. He used to say that all the time. He said, well, all you have to do is live and die. Everything else is a choice. And, and I don't know if that's the way it is with every specific thing. But generally speaking, he's probably not far off. You know, we have to go to work. That's not something, we, although, really, even that's a choice. We got to eat, we got to sleep, uh, we got to tend to uh, the responsibilities of raising our family and so forth. I mean, those are things you have to do. But the definition of who you are, what you are, what you follow, what you obey and what you disobey, that's a choice. That's a choice. It's you. By the way, that choice is based upon what you do, how you understand it, whether you understand it truthfully or falsely. Whether you apply it truthfully or falsely, you, not the person sitting next to you, not me, that's your choice. You know, last week, study and application of Scripture, what it's meant to do for us. And I understand it can be difficult when we are studying the Word of God. It can be difficult to understand in that search. Um, it can also be very difficult to apply the Word of God. The, the difficulty in application of the Word of God usually comes from pride and fear. We've talked about this at length. You know, why is it so hard to love your enemy? Well, because he's my enemy, and I'm greater than he is, right? That's pride. Or if I give my life away, if I love my enemy, I may lose out. He may have more. I may have less. That's fear. Pride and fear, that's why we don't apply the things that we learn. It pretty much be boiled down to that. But the search and application of Scripture is one that's open to every person in this room. You either choose to do it or you choose not to. We have a uh, Bible study once a month, a little short devotion uh, during our prayer meeting, our prayer time, the elders do. And Luke was teaching last month, um, or, or this month, earlier this month. And he was talking about the Nicolaitans from the Revelation. And in the back of my mind, as soon as he said it, in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm going through the, you know, going through the Rolodex. And, I, and I, had, I had the right page brought up in my head, but I only had like half the information. You know, it was a little fuzzy, and it was a little, okay, I know this, I'm thinking about this, where they came, where we see them, where we understand them, I'm trying to think about this, I've read through these things before, and I couldn't come up with the, the sound answer that I wanted to, as, as he was just kind of the sound picture that I wanted to, and I didn't tell them this, but that bothered me, that bothered me a whole lot, I hated that, I hated the fact that that didn't come readily to mind, and it has nothing to do with being a preacher, all right, you, you just got to take my word for this, it has nothing to do with being a preacher. The reason I hated it is because I have walked with Christ, I have accepted the truth of Christ since I was eight years old. How is it possible that there are still things hidden that aren't on the front of my head, front of my mind? 
I can give you the entire saga of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, and I can tell you the answer to every one of them. Or the adventures of Alan Quarterman. I've read that a million times. But why? And, and it bothers me that I can walk that long with Christ and still not be as fluent in Scripture as I ought to be, that it's not more a part of who I am and what I am. I don't like it. And so I spent some time going into that in depth a little bit later on, later on that week. But these are the things that bother me. Look at what the writers of Hebrews say. Hebrews chapter 5. I know you're in Luke. We'll get there. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, we have much to say to you about this. They're comparing, the writer is comparing Jesus to a, an ancient king named Melchizedek and how Jesus fulfills a number of roles just like Melchizedek did. He says, look, we got a lot more to say to this about you or about this to you, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. You no longer even try to understand. What we say, what we teach, what we read, the Word of God, you no longer are even trying to understand. In fact, your translation may say you are slow to learn. But this is a better translation. You're not trying to understand. It means, slow to learn means that you have become slow to learn. Not that you started out that way, not that you were, but you are now becoming slow to learn. You are no longer trying to understand. He goes on to say, in fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. This was after the, the ascension of Christ, but this letter was not written a long time after the ascension of Christ. As a matter of fact, this phrase right here is one of the reasons why people think that Paul probably wrote Hebrews, because he writes that very same way in other letters to other churches. And we're not talking about writing to them after 20 years of knowing Jesus. In fact, when he uses that phrase, it's after 18 months. After 18 months, he tells the church, you ought to be teaching each other by now. What are you doing? How is it you don't understand the Word of God after 18 months? What is wrong with you? That's what he says. He says, you need to be diving into this stuff, and you need to be applying it to your life, and you need to be helping the person next to you apply this stuff in their life because you've got the choice to either understand it, hear, and apply the Word of God or to deny the Word of God. You have become in need of milk. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. I'd like to think that I'm acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. I'd like to think that you're acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. But do you need milk or do you need solid food? Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from either evil. Now, Jesus is going to say this exact same thing here in a little bit in a different way. None of this, though, in the Word of God is meant to be hidden from you and me. Look at Luke chapter 8. This is where you are, verse 16. He's talking about the Word of God. He says, look, no one lights a lamp. He's talking about his own word here. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar. Or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see by its light. Now, this is in reference to the parables and lessons that Jesus has told, the, 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 in reference to the, the things that he teaches, in reference to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets of God's word, and the New Testament of God's word. Here, Jesus is the one lighting the lamp, and the lamp is the word of God. 
We know this from an earlier statement in this same explanation. The lamp is the Word of God. The lamp is His teaching. The lamp is the gospel message. It's meant to provide the illumination that we discussed last week. But we also note here that understanding and application of the Word is never meant to be an enigma. It's never meant to be a strange mystery that you're never going to get at, that you're never going to be able to understand, that only the select will get. The Word was never meant for the elite disciples, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Look what God has to say about His Word. Look what God has to say about His law, about the law of the prophets, about all this. Moses in Deuteronomy just gets done giving this kind of final address to the Israelites. He's summing up the law and the prophets. He's summing up the Word of God, if you will. All right, that's pretty much what all Deuteronomy is about. He's summing this up, and then he gets to the very end of the book. There's only 34 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 30. It's going to be on your screen as well. Moses had given this address, and then he says this. After he's done saying all this, he says this. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you may obey it. We have it at our fingertips. We have it collecting dust on the coffee table. Hopefully, not your coffee table, right? In 15C, I set before you today life and prosperity. Remember, he's just talked about the law and the word of God. I set before you today life and prosperity or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you'll live, and you'll increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land. Verse 17, but if you heart, your hearts turn away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods, worship them, what is that most tempting God that we worship? Self, right? Self. To worship them, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land after crossing the Jordan River. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. Choose life. What is he comparing life to? The understanding and application of the Word of God. Now, he talks about a lot of things with the Word of God, particularly his focus is the law. But he's talking about understanding and application of God's Word. He says, choose life. He's talking about obedience to the commands of God, the Word of God. Choose life, not death. Choose life. And not just for you. What's he say? Choose life so that you and your children may live. You and your kids, you and your grandkids, you and your nieces and nephews, whoever you got a chance to teach and lead and show, choose. You choose. You choose life. That you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice. Anybody have a hard time listening to God's voice? Anybody have a hard time hearing it? And hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life and He will give you many years in the land that He swore to give your fathers. 
If this is not a command to faithful study, knowledge, wisdom, and applications of God's righteous decree, I don't know what is in Scripture. A command to you and me. A command to the Israelites. And by the way, they didn't do it, and bad things happened all the time. Their lives fell apart. It devolved into civil war between them. Why? Because they didn't honor the Word of God in their lives. They didn't know it. They didn't care to know it, understand it, apply it, obey it. They didn't choose life. Notice also that he says the same thing Jesus says. This is not beyond your reach. This is not beyond your reach. It's a choice you make for you and your family, both the understanding and the application. Now, granted, we do have teachers. We have teachers of the Word, and teaching is very important. We see that throughout Scripture, and we've, we've experienced that. We've gained from that in our own lives. I've been taught by teachers. You're taught by teachers. You, there's teachers in here that teach the Word of God. But eventually, eventually, it gets to the place where you've got to take over and take for yourself, search for yourself. These are the types of things Jesus was talking about when it, when it came to teaching in parables. He says, I want them to look. I want them to seek. I want them to apply. I want them to seek or I want them to walk away. That's what I want. I want them in or I want them out. What's he tell the, the church of Revelation? I want you hot or I want you cold. I don't want you in the middle. What did Joshua do when he said, said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. As me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Those who choose not to serve the Lord, he didn't stop them. When Jesus said, drink my flesh and eat my blood, no. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Many people turned away. What did Jesus do? He didn't stop them. He said, go. That's what he says here. He says, you've got to take this on yourself, Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence. See, I'm not there, says Paul. Here's what I want you to do. You've got to continue to work this out. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You've got to begin to know, to apply, to understand, to see, to be filled with wisdom and knowledge. It's a choice you get to make, for it's God who works in you. To will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Blameless and pure, all we do is argue and grumble. He says, read the Word of God, apply it to your life, work out this fear through fear and trembling. Blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine. Then you'll shine. Church, Christians are supposed to look differently. They're supposed to be different. I mean, it's almost as if you're supposed to meet somebody in the world, and that person is supposed to say, look, I either love that guy or I can't stand him. I, always, I want everything he's got to offer or I want nothing. Because that light either helps me or it's too bright. That comes from that Christian who is understanding, reading, following, obeying the Word of God and not scoffing at it. Profess one thing, live out another. You hypocrite, says Jesus, right? But we get the chance to be sanctified. We get the chance right now. See, sometimes these are the, these, this lessons like this, these challenging things, maybe these are the moments where our eyes are open to the fact that we have a choice. We have a cho and it's not too late to make that choice, is it? 
I want to read what Jesus had to say. I want to start applying it to my life, and I want to practice it. By the way, with anything I've ever practiced, I've screwed up while I've practiced it. That's kind of the point. And I want to apply it more, and I want to apply it again. And I want my life to be changed because the Word of God and how it's powerful and living and active in my life. For lack of obedience, we often say that we don't know. We plead ignorance, certainly when it comes to the Word of God. But in truth, I think really it is we didn't ask. We didn't ask. And I mean, honestly, I, I tell you, you could quiz me on the Nicolaitans at this point, Luke, because when I, when I had that feeling throughout that week, I was like, all right, from here on out, I'm going to know everything there is to know about the Nicolaitans. See, one of the things is we just don't ask. It's not that we don't know, it's we don't ask. We don't ask Jesus to open our hearts and our minds and our, our, our eyes. We don't ask people, teachers, to help us understand so that we can apply. What does Jesus say about this, Matthew chapter 7? Ask, and it's going to be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. He says, first, you've got to ask. You've got to seek. You've got to knock. He says, I want you to want this. And then there's an incredible gift that comes from it. And the urgency of this is so important. We're in Luke chapter 8, skip down to verse 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. That's the very same thing that Hebrews said. You have become slow to learn or you are not even trying now to understand. That's the very same thing. The more you know, the more you dive into, the more you understand it, the more you begin to make it a part of your life, the more you see and the more you grow. But if you don't build it, if you don't strengthen it, if you don't secure it, what does David say? Your law is written on my heart. If we don't secure it, even those things that we think we have will be taken from us. Notice the blessing of study and knowledge and application of God's Word and the danger of failing to do so. Those who have an abundance, it's going to grow, flourish, knowledge, wisdom, faith. It's going to be part of your very self. It will carry you. It will sustain you. You're going to be sanctified by it. But those who do not have, those who do not care to seek, to learn, to practice, even though they've heard it before, even what they think they have is going to be taken from them. It's a commentary on the parable, the seeds scattered. You've heard this story before, Luke 8, 11 through 15. This will be on your screen, but you can turn back a couple of verses. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. That's how I know through all of this, Jesus is talking about the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe, or so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the Word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Happens a lot. This is, they, they love it when it works for them. This is the word of God we're hearing about now. Verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, whatever it is, and they do not mature. None of those you want to be, church. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. They hear the word, they retain it, persevere in it, they produce a crop from it. 
They're still being sanctified, just like everybody else. They're not perfect at this point, but they're being sanctified by the Word. Look, every teacher... I don't have another page. I thought I did. I don't. Leave it here. I think every teacher worth their salt really kind of wants one thing. And I I don't know this. I, I just kind of sum it up this way. Every teacher really wants a student eventually to say to them, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. I'm, I'm learning what you're, what you're learning. I'm teaching what you're teaching. I'm, I've grown into, into what you are. I don't, I don't need you anymore. And I think that that is a desire of, of many teachers. This, this message today is not very, it's not real fun, it's not real funny, but um, it's meant for conviction. It's meant for conviction for those who know Christ. It's certainly meant for conviction for those who have walked with Him for a while. It's meant to be a direction for those who are just coming to know Christ, a goal even. Jesus tells us to consider carefully the Word of God, for if we don't, any understanding that we have is going to be lost. That standard, that directive is given to these people in Scripture, and it's also given to us. It's given to these people that don't have what we have. We have this at our fingertips, right? What they had was hear it, learn it, memorize it. This is why Paul had the Old Testament memorized. By 14, roughly, I don't know, about that age, when they entered into schools. Because he didn't have it laid out in front of him. We do. We can look at this, we can read this, we can apply it, we can ask questions about it. And then it becomes a part of our very makeup. We have the Word in our homes, in our church, in our hearts. I hope it's a challenge to you. I hope you're convicted by it. By the way, don't read and get into... Scripture, because it's a passion of yours, that's foolishness. If you're convicted, that's what it is, conviction, to read, to know, to study, to follow the Word, to apply it. Then we begin to change. We see that change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, that we can be challenged today. We thank you, Father, that we can... I I ask, Father, that you help us to respond I don't know if everybody's going to, Father. But I ask that you'll put it on our hearts, our minds. That you'll help us to realize that this is a choice that we have, and it's a wonderful choice. To read, to know, to understand, to watch as we're changed. To watch as we're refined. To watch as we're sanctified. To watch as we can feel and notice and see your word is living and moving and active. I thank you, Father, even for the challenges that they pose. I ask that you give us a heart of humility and a heart of courage. As we read your word, as we study, as we gain wisdom, and as we obey, as we obey, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my
faith to trust what you say and your good and your love is great. 